He's right here in front of me, and I can honestly tell him that I'm going to knock him spark out. Leaping right hand by the Prince. Ooh. And up hard left. And Kelly's down for the third time. Whoa! He's for real. The Unbelievable. For real. One more touchdown. And Cardinal has gone. Bernard Dunn is the champion of the world. Bernard Dunn is the champion of the world. Fantastic, Bernard. Fantastic. And here comes Andy Lee in now. Alright, so it was a heavyweight weekend of boxing action and we've got a heavyweight edition of Off The Brawl this week. Shortly we'll hear from WBC champion cornerman Andy Lee and we'll have two-time world champion Paulie Malinaji with some analysis. Before that though, Phil Egan joins me in the studio. Phil, how are things? Good, good, yeah. We've kept the seat empty here for Andy Lee who... Do you think he'll ever come back? I don't know. I, I was trying to big time for us now? He, he enjoyed it so much. I, I'd love to pick his brains and how it compared to the night he won his own world title. I know different experiences, but how happy did he look in mm. the, in the ring after Tyson Fury was crowned champion? Yeah, because he kept his measure all week. He was very composed in any interviews I saw with him, especially when he was on with us on the Monday. Yeah, and we were somewhat tongue in cheek saying that we don't want you to give the game plan away about how you're looking at this fight, and he basically told us exactly what they were going to do. And that's what they did, and it was it was genius in retrospect. Yeah, and it was something that Tyson Fury and Ben Davison in particular were criticised for in the last fight. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but Freddie Roach, who was part of the corner that night, felt that Deontay Wilder was there for the taking, and they were too cautious. So that didn't happen this time around. It was like from the first bell, skips out to the middle of the ring, mm. and uh, basically shows that he's going to go on the attack and it's very rare you see Wilder on the back foot like that yeah. and it showed and watch the fight back there yesterday again without the emotion involved in obviously being tired and staying up at five in the morning watching it but it was quite clear after the second round Wilder looked spent mm. just absolutely looked knackered and will we jump straight to the conspiracy theory that he's put out there that it was his 40 pound costume that weighed him down no but I did think when he took it off he was sweating a lot mm. and I thought that is a lot of trouble to go to I know why he was doing it and uh, you know he, he wanted to give a special entrance to um, you know he had a good reason for doing it but it just seemed a bit extreme yeah. Tyson Fury had the right idea where he got carried in it's funny cause, yeah because you never really pay attention overly to these things the pomp and ceremony of it is what it is and there's such a gap between that and the fight actually starting but the fact that they did the national anthems and all that before the lads came to the ring yeah, yeah. it was actually quite a quick turnaround I'm not yeah. buying into the excuse in any way I'm just saying it's something I hadn't even figured until he said it so it's interesting but the the Freddie Roach comment that you mentioned is interesting because I don't know how you interpreted those comments at the time, but my opinion on it was that Fury boxing the way he was, was catching Wilder with strong counters and Roach was seeing openings where Fury could maybe then go in and press the action. Whereas the way Fury clearly interpreted it was, right, now I'm just going to play out this from the get-go. And it was a remarkable tactic, as you said, jumped out, set the tone straight away and never took his foot off the pedal. 
No, and did get caught with a couple of right hands and he was asked about that, did they hurt? And he, he said he wasn't buzzed by them, but he said they hurt. But the beauty of it was he actually, he got the range right that he was able to just pull away as Wilder landed them. So they wouldn't have been as flush as we would have seen in previous opponents Wilder's had because we know if he catches you flush there's a fair chance he's going to knock you down but also this was a bigger Fury mm. his dad John Fury said after the Valen fight that Tyson Fury looked weak he looked too light and pretty much anything John Fury says it's true most of the stuff that he has <laughs> well, said about Tyson Fury in boxing terms in boxing terms is true yes I will clarify that <laughs> but Anything he has said about Tyson Fury's opponents or how Tyson Fury should fight, most of it comes through. Yeah. Like you remember Holyfield against Lewis, the first fight when everyone thought Lewis won. And in the second fight, it was pretty similar pattern, but Lewis just won it more clearly. Fury this time, granted there were fights in between. Like we remember he schooled, quote unquote, Klitschko. People might look at that a different way, but he outboxed Vladimir Klitschko and then sacked Peter Fury. And then Ben Davison came along and worked the oracle, got him back from whatever he was. Crazy weight, 400 pounds. Yeah, he was like 28 stone. Yeah. So effectively lost 10 stone. And I think it was nice to see, obviously, Ben Davison wasn't involved for this, but he was on social media straight away. Mm. I think his first tweet was, what a man. And, you know, they obviously had a great friendship, still do. But Tyson Fury decided that they were going to change things up for this fight. And what was interesting to listen to Sugar Hill, he was asked, what did you do? And basically he just said, we did what Tyson Fury wanted to do. He came to us saying, I want to fight the Kronk style. Mm. And we just had to go with it eight weeks. So now you think he can get even better if he sticks with Sugar Hill and Andy. Yeah, and just behind the scenes in our production WhatsApp group back in a couple of months ago, when the news broke that Tyson had split with Ben Davis and I texted Andy in the chat to say, so is he going with you or what's the crack? Joking. Yeah. And then Andy sent back the two big eye emojis and we, we kind of figured from that point that there was something going on. So we should probably hear from Andy now. I mentioned he was speaking to Owen Sheehan on OTBAM, I think the Sunday, the, the day after the fight in Las Vegas. And these were his thoughts on Saturday's victory. It's obviously a mad, it's chaotic and there's people everywhere. People want to get to Tyson. They want to interview him, and um, we obviously get back to the dressing room, and he we're all celebrating, and he's, we're all photographs. You can imagine what it is, you know, celebrating photographs and uh, people coming in, in and out of the dressing room, all famous faces and celebrities, and it's uh, he has to do a drug test, so we have to do that. Then we had a press conference. Then we all got in the car and went back to his, which he, he hadn't stayed in yet. He's um, kind of villa inside the MGM. Mm. The most amazing hotel room I've ever seen in my life. And uh, uh, we just had a couple of beers there, you know, there's some room service. And we just, I don't know, so if anyone follows me on Instagram, you'll see a few videos. Um, <laughs> but it was a great time. And he had, so he had like an after party requirement that he was contracted to do. So we went to this after party and some nightclub on the strip. And then it was back home to bed. But there wasn't much sleep. And then I was, I think I was up to like, 6 a.m. this morning, calling everybody and getting back to messages from people. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's always an anti-climax after a fight like that. And the simplest thing to do and the best thing to do, I find, is always just to spend time together and enjoy 
the fight instead of trying to relive it, you know, trying to reach that high again. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's something that can slip away so quickly or it's like this is a moment that you all know is really, really important and it's almost like sand through the fingers. You just don't know where the time has gone. But you looked unbelievably happy afterwards, Andy, and I think you've probably <laughs> seen so much of this, the social media yeah. uh, outpouring of love for you, not just for Tyson Fury last night. So once the fight, once the fight comes to a stoppage, is it a deep satisfaction? Is it euphoria? What is the emotion that you feel? All of those things. Uh, I was... I was obviously very worried about the fight because we all know Deontay Wilder's power and his record of knocking people out. And obviously the first fight um, was miraculous that Tyson got up at in that 12th round. Um, I was also under pressure and, and felt a lot of responsibility because I was the one who suggested, who recommended Sugar Hill to Tyson. And also we have responsibility in because we've trained him and we've, we've put together this game plan which most people... Most people asked that when we said he was going to go for a knockout. Most people thought it was crazy. Um, but he executed the, what, like, the strategy in the game plan to a T. And like, the punch, the combination that finished Wilder off was something that we just drilled every day in the gym. And um, it was, that's what's satisfying. That's what's so satisfying. The fact that he came, he pulled it off, and he just you know, followed our instructions. Um, so, yeah, and I was just so happy for him because I know he yeah, obviously it's the biggest, biggest, biggest prize in sports, the heavyweight championship for a while, but um, he's a, such a gentleman and such a good person. Um, and I was so delighted for him. That's all. Um, you know, that was it. I think when you mentioned the game plan there, Andy, I'm not sure if people thought you were crazy. I think some people thought you were bluffing when you came on off the ball last week and said, this is the game plan, you know, this is what we are going to do. We were all like, surely he can't just be laying this all on the table. But you basically did, just in, in kind of very blunt terms. When you go beyond that, when you go beyond the layer of Tyson Fury's going out to knock Deontay Wilder out early in this fight, what was the game plan? How was he going to execute this? Is there a more complicated version to the story you told us last week on Monday nights off the ball? I pretty much laid it all out on the table for you guys last week. So I was just glad no one, no, no one from the wireless camp was listening. Um, it was simple: press the feet, put him on the back foot. Um, even if you're not um, advancing, look imposing. Look like you're posing a threat. It's, it's, it's much less enticing for enticing for Wilder to come into distance and try to attack Tyson if he was looking like he was set to punch at all times and that his positioning was good. So it was to press with the feet. Anytime Wilder uh, tried to attack, it was to take a little half step back just to clear the range with a high left hand to, to nullify the right hand. And as soon as he finished punching, press right back to him. And that keeps the pressure on him, mental pressure as well as physical. Um, also, when they were in the clinches, tie him up and rough him up and put your weight on him. And mm. uh, jackhammer, we call it, was where he bangs the body and throw that little short uppercut up up inside and yeah it was simple stuff faint jab faint jab step back one two and if you look at uh, the finish combination that's like really jab step back one two finish him and uh, that was basically the game plan and yeah it was risky because you're standing there in front of one of the biggest puncher in boxing history mm. um, you're standing in front of him but you know uh, it was well considered and well well planned by Sugar Hill, and uh, yeah, came off. That jab is something that looked so clean, so impressive last night. 
I'm not sure did it look better than it did in December 2018 or what you think Andy what, what, like no, what's yes, your, what? definitely Tyson's jab was oh was a flick of a jab it was like it would occupy his opponents it would never damage them uh, or push them back it was just like a flick 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 to set up another opponent or to occupy his opponent so he could slide off and move around uh, but now his jab as I said last week his jab is a real weapon and I think that was really telling when Wilder felt that first jab I actually saw his facial expression change. And, uh, you know, like Tyson took two good right hands at the start of the fight. Mm. Um, and even though that's, that's the fault, it kind of worked in his favor because he just took him and kept walking forward. And I think that in some way demoralized Wilder. Um, but once he got his feet adjusted and found the distance that he could step back quicker than he had been in the first round, he never got hit with the right hand again. How does a boxing coach take a jab that is there to occupy its opponent to turn it into something that is a weapon of mass destruction? You just put, you, you just drill it every day and punch correctly. And as I like, you know, as I said last week, he's never really been taught the basics of boxing. He's always gotten through, and like his pad work before would be very flashy and it would look fantastic. It would be seven or eight combination punches, um, but you're never going to do that in a fight. Basic boxing wins fights. People who do the simple things correctly win the fights. And uh, that's what it was. So, yeah. And look, it was only, it's only been eight weeks training with me in Sugar Hill. Mm. Imagine when he has six months or a year. He's going to improve. He's only going to get better and better. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrifying prospect. I mean, we'll get into the next few months in just a moment. But just one last question I had on the game plan aspect of things. You credit Sugar Hill for a lot of his game plan there. Was it a discussion between yourself and Sugar Hill or... Is it all on him, or, or how does that work in terms of who's actually implementing this? It's, it's, yeah, it's always a discussion, but no. For the most part of Sugar Hill, I just kind of put in my two cents here there, implement, especially with the step back and high left hand. Um, so I know that's, that's reflective for a big puncher. Um, but Sugar no, I have to, you have to give the credit to Sugar Hill. And I, like, you know, in November last year Tyson rang me and looking for a new trainer looking for someone with experience and who could improve him he spoke to all the coaches in the world people who would have worked and people who both know but the only one guy I recommended was Sugar Hill and I knew that he would improve Tyson I knew know how he trains and uh, I'm just so great I'm so relieved that it's worked out because my neck was on the line if it didn't <laughs> I'm not sure about that but certainly it's uh, paid dividends anyway in the end um, we've got a good insight into it last night about what, who was saying what uh, and I guess the, the activity in your corner last night. But could you just shed further light on that? Was there a plan in terms of who was going to be saying what, how concise the message was going to be in terms of the voices going in to Tyson's ear between rounds? Yeah, uh, it was always Sugar Hill. He's, he's a lead coach and he, they would have worked together more than I did. So it was his plan. It was them who worked together and so he was the main voice. There were times when I, uh, my, my instructions classes, they weren't technical. They weren't strategic. They were more, um, how can I say, I basically was telling him to compose himself towards like around six, from around four or five hours. It's just basically control yourself now. He's ready to go. He's falling apart. But pick your shots. Don't get into more, like, you know, just, it was more about the mind, what the mindset he's taken into the rounds or, what he should be, how he should be, you know, feeling and what he should be looking for. Nothing, nothing really technical or strategic, you know? And, um, 
yeah, it was good. He he, he really did it. like like it's it's one thing having a game plan. It's one thing you know teaching a fighter in the gym, but to go out there and do it in the fight against the biggest puncher in boxing history. Take, like it takes, like I don't know what it takes. It takes something like Tyson Fury. <laughs> it, it must take a fairly calm mind from his corner, though, to be able to actually communicate the instruction, calm down, relax. And you're delivering an instruction by the sounds of things in the space of five to ten seconds. Ten seconds, absolutely max here. So, are you thinking during the round, this is exactly what I'm going to say in this very finite amount of time to Tyson Fury? Are, are you saying to yourself, I need to remain calm here to ensure that? He doesn't uh, sense any panic off me. Not that there was any sense to panic at all last night, but I'm just very intrigued in how you managed to keep such a composed head even in the corner because I'm sure things get pretty hot and heavy when you're so invested in a fighter like that. Yeah, listen, when you come back to the corner in a fight, that's your rest. That's your oasis. That should be an oasis of calm because the fight is the fight. When you come back to the corner, you don't need another fight. You don't mm. need to be showered at that. You don't need to be slapped or you don't need to be harassed. You just need to clear calm instructions. And it has to be precise and it has to be relevant. And the fighter has to believe in it. It has to make sense to him as well. Um, and I think being a fighter myself, that helps a lot because you know you can read what, you can read an opponent, you can see what's in his what's what's in his mind, what's in his eyes, and you can read your own fighter and know, you know, is it time to go, is it time to push it, or is it time to hold off and say just carry on and be careful or is it time to now put a foot in the gas. So, mm. um, but yeah, no, the corner, the corner should always be calm. Um, but we had a, we had a great team. You know, we had Stitch Duran doing the cuts and Sugar Hill leading the corner. And my job was simply to hold the bucket and put the ice pack on his neck. <laughs> I think it was a bit more than that, Andy, but uh, I, I like your modesty on a, on a morning like this. Uh, tell me, when did you know that this was going extremely well? I'm sure you knew fairly early, but it seemed to me, was it after he knocked him to the canvas for the first time at the end of the round three or maybe that Tyson just throws his arms into the air triumphantly as if he just won the fight, but not in a sort of uh, bravado way. It was almost like a reaction from him. It was like just uh, it's something that he couldn't even control. It was like, oh, my God, this has actually happened. I've actually executed my game plan perfectly. Yeah. The hands go into the air, as I say, not to say to the crowd, yeah, I've done this and to, to try and wind him up or anything. It was just a sudden realization that, oh, my God, this is going to be over very, very soon. Yeah, but he was still always dangerous while, like, you could never count sure. out. That's why it was, like, in the corner, distressing. He switched on to be allowed because there's, there's a danger of, it becomes too, not too easy, but too comfortable. And then he'll relax, and then something will happen. You know, he might get hit mm. with a punch out. But, so it was always, like, my instruction from, like, round three onwards to maybe round five was stay alert. They switched on. He's still dangerous. He's still there. And then from round five onwards was be to stay calm, stay composed, win your seven, pick your shots. He pressed like he didn't pick your shots and put the punch together because he's ready to go. But um, it was just like an unbelievable performance by Tyson. He did, like, just, he, like he, he's a special, special person. You know, he is really is. Um, he's got an incredible story. And if you like, if you were to make a Hollywood movie of it, you'd say it was too far fetched. So you were saying there uh, that if it was a Hollywood movie, it'd be too far fetched to be believed. But it is reality. In terms of your own emotion now, taking this on to the next step, it's there are so many different possibilities that Tyson Fury can do with his own career. How excited are you for what's next in this coaching path that you're on, specifically with this this heavyweight journey you're on with Tyson Fury? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's come out of the blue, and 
I still haven't really committed myself to being a boxing coach. You know, <laughs> I've only been doing it for the last six months, but it's been a been a steep rise. But look, I think he's very happy with myself and Sugar Hill, and I think he he'll be asking us to help him again for his next fight, wherever that may be. Wilder has a rematch, the right to a rematch, um, as the loser of this fight had the right to a rematch. So. If he wants to have that rematch, I'm not sure, mm. but we'll see. He might, he might do. I think he might. Um, so that would be our next fight. But I can't see it going any differently, you know? Mm. Can't, I can't see it going any different. I think if if I was Wilder, I would say, have some more of a fight somebody else, maybe get a different coach and or bring somebody else into his camp. Not, cha- not change coaches, but bring somebody else in who can refine him a little bit and then go, go for Tyson. Maybe give it a year, get the rematch in a year. But um, yeah, look, it's an amazing, amazing uh, experience for me to be part of this. And a huge honor to be asked and to, to think that, you know, you have something to offer, offer the heavyweight champion. So uh, we're, look, we're just going to get home now. I'm at the airport here in Las, in Las Vegas, get home to Dublin tomorrow, and then sit down, have a rest, and get back to the family. That's all I'm thinking about. Have you spoke to your wife and daughter yet? I have, yeah. I've been on the phone constantly and uh, I've got a lot of making up to do with the dad duties when I get back. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, what, that's what my next couple of weeks are. Uh, the school run and the, and the settling. I'd imagine so. Um, just another quick question on what happens next for Tyson. I know it's too soon, but immediately in the aftermath, Last night, Eddie Hearn was congratulating you, Andy, on your, your role coaching, but also, of course, congratulating Tyson Fury because he really wants to set up the Anthony Joshua fight ASAP. Mm. Do you think that's a realistic possibility within the next 12 months? I think so. I don't see why not. It's a huge fight. And I don't see there being any, any fear from Tyson, you know, uh, or unwillingness to, to, to fight him. These things are very complicated. There's so much money involved and how it's split and where it goes to that, you know, these fights, they can be very hard to make. But if there's a willingness from both boxers for a fight to happen, then usually they do. So all the talk and all of this, you know, tweeting, if they really want it, they'll they'll make an offer and and then Tyson will have to consider it. But yeah, like Tyson said, he he has three more fights in his contract. And he said he wanted Wilder again after this one. Mm. Maybe somebody else and then Joshua. So uh, he's always stuck to his word. So yeah. I, 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 why not? This should happen. These fights should happen. Two, like Tyson's the best heavyweight in the world now. It's not the two best heavyweights. Tyson's the best heavyweight. But the, the next best challenger, Anthony Joshua, should be stepping up to fight him. It's important as well, Andy, that Tyson's not only the best heavyweight in the world, he's also the most exciting boxer in the world right now, potentially uh, regardless of weight, pound for pound. I know we might get you into your pound for pound most exciting uh, boxers sometime, but in terms of excitement, he is, and I think it comes from the fact that he is a heavyweight boxer and he is able to move the way that he does, and that's obviously a huge draw in the places like the United States, but everywhere around the world, like people will part with cash to watch Tyson Fury right now. It is, it is, like, it's as simple as that. He is a product on his own. It doesn't matter who's in the ring against him. They had 8,000 people at the weigh-in, and they had to turn away more. The place was packed. Mm. It was so hard to get tickets for this fight. Um, but they're building a big arena here in Las Vegas now. It's the, the Las Vegas Raiders, former Oakland Raiders. And that, that, that potentially could host a fight like Tyson versus Joshua. 
Um, but he is, yeah, he's, he's gone. For, he's a global, he's a global superstar now. You know, he like you saw his ring walk. Like he can, that was his idea to come out with furies on fire. Your defense is terrified, is it? And then to switch into Patrick Klein crazy and be on a throne wearing a, a robe and a crown. I thought it was ridiculous. I wasn't into it at all. I was thinking, just get into the ring, get the job done. This is it. There's no need for this. But I was actually looking at it. I was in the ring while he was making the way in. I said, nah, what are you doing now? <laughs> so uh, he's, he's, just, he's more like, and then to get up and sing a song after, like he's, he's an all around man. <laughs> he's a throwback to the old days. I didn't actually think. I didn't actually realize this. So you were the bad cop in his coaching staff. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm very serious about the job. I don't. I don't like any messing around. Like, <laughs> um, I just like to get get on with the business. I'm there to do a job. That's it. Can I ask you what happened with the water bottle afterwards? What was the water bottle? There's a clip doing the rounds of you handing a bottle to Tyson, and Tyson's like, "Where did you get that water bottle from?" And oh, he pointed no. front row, and he's yeah, like, "I'm no, not having that." We're very careful of what he drinks and where it comes from. So we had all our own water bottles with us. We brought our own like steel water bottles with us to the fight into the arena. We didn't need anything from anybody from outside. Um, and what had happened is security man handed me that bottle of water and he said, "Where's it come from?" So I'm not sure. So I'm not drinking. So I went and got one of my own bottles and gave him a drink. Um, so that's 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 the story. That like we were at this whole training camp, even in the gym, we bring our there was lots of water on hand, but we didn't take anything from anybody. We just um, used all our own stuff. You can never be too careful, I guess. You like, I think anybody you, you know as well how dangerous boxing can be in terms of politics and stuff like that. So I guess down to a, the very minutiae, you, you can't be too careful, especially after such an amazing moment. Uh, one of, one yeah, of the last things, like the the legacy for this for you personally is important. But then, like I mean, you look at what you've learned over the last few weeks, I'd imagine it's been loads, Andy, and what you can bring to the likes of Paddy and to Jason and to who knows who else you're going to be working with over the next few months and years. Like, you must be really excited to almost get back into the gym straight away and actually bestow some of this knowledge back onto to your fighters again because this is a constant learning process as a coach now. Yeah, it's been a huge experience for me. And even if I haven't learned anything technically, which I have, just to be in the corner and to fight this magnitude... Paddy was like Paddy Donovan was here. He's been here for the last week and a half, two weeks, training alongside Tyson. He was there ringside at the fight. He's in the dress room. So, as I said, I've been you here not just not for the training, it's for the experience to think that one day you'll be at this level. This will be where you're going to be. So every time you're seeing Tyson do something, put yourself in that position because that's and think how you'll handle it. And that's 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 what it means to him. Jason's improving. He's got. We're hoping for him to fight in April. Paddy's fighting March seventeenth in New York in the Madison Square Garden. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in the gym next week, <laughs> and we'll be back to doing the same things. We did. Like the same things I do with Tyson. The same things I do with those guys. Same basic boxing. Nothing. Nothing special. Well, listen, Andy, go and uh, binge watch some Peppa Pig with your daughter before getting back into the gym. Great yeah, to chat to you. I'm looking forward to seeing Peppa Pig and uh, Frozen too. <laughs> You've got to catch up. I'm sure, I'm sure some plot lines have developed uh, since you're sent away. Listen, let me give you your outro. Yeah. World champion boxer, world champion trainer, Andy Lee. Thank you very much for joining yeah, us. Thank you. That's my new, my new outro. An intro, please. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Andy. Take care. Safe flight. Yeah, so Andy Lee there, beaming after... Um, yeah. What's a remarkable night for him. Like, we can get back to the fight in a second, but... In terms of his coaching circles, to go from you know good work with Paddy Donovan that spun into a small working relationship with Jason Quigley, which has now become a full time thing, 
and now the biggest name in boxing has Andy Lee in his corner and it's been a hell of a 12 months for him I wonder if Andy Lee's phone is hopping at the moment I'm sure it is for people because he's such a, a nice guy people are sending him best wishes and all that but in terms of work wise are there other fighters thinking yeah I w- I'd like to, to work with Andy Lee mm. it's gonna it's a growing stable and everything he says to us the little tidbits that he, he brings to this show that people love like the thing about the jab how the jab isn't a complimentary punch in the Kronk gym it's a weapon yeah. and that was shown and um, setting up the knockouts like he spoke to Owen about how that combination that ultimately finished the fight the step back one two like they drill that drill that drill that that's not the kind of thing the likes of Ben Davis would be working on he'd be working on more evasion maybe yeah. counter punching this was very much forthright aggressive knockout punching and Fury's never been renowned for it and yet you look at his record he's got some good knockouts on his record so it's just uh, it's really solidified him at the top of boxing not just the heavyweight division it goes back to what Tyson Fury said after the Tom Schwartz fight his you know, yeah. top ranked debut and he he, he name checks Andy and says uh, Andy said they like knockouts in the US so that's what Tyson Fury delivered that night and obviously it didn't go as well in the Otto Valine fight he obviously got that cut which I'll be honest I was a little bit concerned going into this rematch at Wilder whether it could get opened up again and if it did it's Wilder's the last person you want if you can't see that right hand coming mm. then you're in trouble but Fury's always been evasive. He's always, for such a big frame, he's always been able to evade punches. And there was a few incidents in or incidences in the later in the fight where he he got out of the way of punches. He, he always has that head movement. But I remember a few weeks ago, I had the most vivid dream about this fight. Premonition. I, but the first, like the so the first part of it is the bell rings. Uh, I, I tweeted about this I'm like this isn't me just oh uh, I remember I'll put the tweet up here so the first punch is a jab which stuns Wilder and then the second punch is a left hook and Wilder's down and I remember thinking well, that's not going to happen <laughs> now Wilder gets up and then Fury finishes it in the second round that's my dream and then a few weeks later Fury comes out and he's making his prediction saying he's going to knock him out in the second round now I actually thought Wilder had a good second round mm. I think arguably that's probably the only round that is the only round you might be able to make a case for Wilder actually getting it on the judges card probably he just he landed a couple of decent right hands in it so um, yeah when when uh, I saw the, the effect of the jab I was thinking maybe there was something in that that dream but um the seventh round and obviously it was symbolic yeah and what did you think of the the knockdown so the first one there was a bit of debate that maybe caught him behind the ear but it seemed to catch him right on the ear which is obviously a legal shot because that cut which there was a lot of people maybe debating whether it was a burst eardrum it's transpired that it was just a a severe enough cut on the outer ear yeah so there was nothing too untoward about that and ultimately Wilder didn't have to to go to hospital in the end it was just a it was a thorough beat down but it wasn't probably as no, and treacherous as it seemed at the time. But it still, it still had a huge influence on how the fight played out after because it messed with his mm. his balance. He was all over the shop actually. Towards the end of the third round, just as the bell goes, Wilder's legs are doing a dance, and 
you know, he, I actually was when I was looking back at it, I thought he did well to make it look so smooth and slick how he actually got into his onto his stool because you could tell he was all over the shop. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have any complaints at that point. You know, Wilder had a few issues. He, he said it. I mean, he's he's had a fair bit to say in the aftermath of the fight. Um, he obviously didn't do his press conference. He did a little bit in the ring after, but the cut on the ear would suggest that's where the punch landed. Maybe part of it caught around the back, mm. but it was kind of a clubbing shot. It wasn't yeah. a clean. It's not one that you're going to see in the highlight reels, but it put him down pretty emphatically. And yeah. he, he went down a couple of more times after that that were ruled as um, slips. I don't know what yeah. you thought of Kenny Bayless's performance. Yeah, I thought it was strange where he took the point. And I know why he took it, because he said he hit after he was told to, to mm. break. And both fighters had been warned about it, but Wilder actually did that in the fifth round and there was nothing in it. Um, Look, he knew when it happened, it wasn't going to have any effect on it. You mm. knew that this fight wasn't going much further. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, though, watching it back, Fury actually, you can see, he's slowed down a bit in the seventh round. I know he gets the knockout, but you're. I'm wondering if Wilder, you know, I don't know, I was surprised he even got beyond the sixth round. Um, but if it had gone another few rounds, I wonder what Fury's movement would have been like. You know, and what was your feeling on the night? Because, like, for all people are saying it should have been stopped around earlier, I was still a little bit surprised when it ultimately ended because you always think with Wilder fights that he's just going to turn it around with one shot here. Yeah. Maybe not win the fight, but, you know, change the momentum. But then watching it back with fresh eyes the next day, the pattern was established from the start and he never got into the fight. No, and there was stages in the fight where he was actually leaning on the rope, like arm on the rope to keep him up. And... I think back to when he fought Luis Ortiz in the first fight when Ortiz had him in serious trouble. Mm. Ortiz actually was landing more shots. But I, I said, I just think Wilder, it just took a lot out of him. I thought what Fury did very well was after he got his shots out and they clinched, he leaned on him. At times he got his left arm around the head of, uh, around the neck of Wilder and just probably choked the life out of him. And he just he just drained them, and that's what Fury should do. He's he's the he's the biggest heavyweight. He yeah. should be using his weight to an advantage. He was more than nineteen stone. Because that's the thing people talk about: why the heavyweight division succeeds over all the smaller divisions, and that kind of has balanced out a little bit, obviously, with Mayweather-Pacquiao in the in the early part of this century. But heavyweight boxing is just a bit different. You don't see three stone discrepancies in any other weight class. I was saying the other day, this was like Carl Frampton, Carl Frotch in the weight stakes and of course if you're going to lean on the smaller man you're going to take away like we always debate where the power comes from with Deontay Wilder and it's definitely the extension that he can get in his punches but it's how he can set his feet and also yeah. punch through and when his legs were gone his right hand was gone yeah and he you know he still threw a few and I'd say Fury knew without getting careless he knew he could take uh, a right hand a lot better than he would have in, in the last fight and um, in terms of the stoppage, I know Fury or sorry Wilder is not happy with Mark Breland. Mark Breland, and you wonder when the third fight happens, which we expected to happen, mm. if Breland will be there. Mark Breland, Wilder was also saying, as you said, he's been saying a lot. He was saying because Breland's a former Krong fighter, he was yeah. basically saying he was friends with Sugar Hill and he wanted to to fix the fight for. So like this is the kind of nonsense that's coming out of this fight. Yeah, but it like. 
I think Wilder, if he had kept his counsel and just activated the rematch clause, I think people would have respected him a lot more than this. Like, there's no, there's no shame in losing to Tyson Fury. I think this is the biggest distance there's been between the first in the division and second in the division since Tetsuko was at his best. Yeah. Like, we had a little bit of a fun time there where everyone was debating who the number one was, but I think Tyson Fury's made it quite clear now. So there's no shame in Wilder getting beaten by the better man. It's his first defeat of his career. Yeah. And if you want the best to fight the best, we can't be vilifying people every time they lose their first fight. But on the flip side of that, you can't react like this. No. Well, they think to when Anthony Joshua lost to Andy Ruiz and... Couldn't be any more different. And yeah, and he actually, funny enough, he got criticised for taking it too well. <laughs> well, that's the other extreme. Mm. But that was a more humiliating defeat for, yeah. for Joshua because of the way Andy Ruiz looks. And this was Joshua's US debut and he was... People were dying to make excuses for him. They were like, yeah. oh, he had a panic attack in the dressing room, yeah. upset in the camp. And he didn't want anything to do with any of those excuses, no. whereas Wilder seems to be taking anything that's going. Yeah. So it's funny how I said Joshua got ridiculed for taking it too well, and Wilder has gone then the other route where people are just thinking, you got to just suck it up and take your beating. And when you get another chance at Tyson Fury, that's your chance for redemption. Yeah. I don't know how the third fight works out. Yeah. Well, and is it the next fight that they both have? It's definitely contractually enforceable. If Wilder wants it, he can have it. Yeah. But from a marketing point of view, and we'll talk about the marketing of this fight, which was spectacular, mm. and hopefully bodes well for more crossover fights going forward. But the appetite for it, I'm not quite sure. I think the ideal, obviously, would be that Bob Arms says to Kubra Pulev, who's his guy also, if do you mind stepping aside, we'll give you a couple of million. Let's get AJ and Fury on while the the appetite's there for it but I think the likelihood is AJ will fight Pulev this rematch will happen and we're looking at probably this time next year for an undisputed fight so hopefully there's no upsets in the meantime I think people would be happy enough if that's how things play out I was was only thinking about this what happens if Wilder comes in in the third fight and lands one of those right hands and then fourth fight Fury yeah are we going down the Marquez Pacquiao or the Robinson Lamada yeah are we going into the, the six timers it could go. It could go that way because that's a very good point. There's no reason you look at Wilder's resume that he can't do that if he gets his tactics slightly better. Because like we could, we could probably get into it now. How do you think a third fight would go from a Wilder point of view? Do you think he'd try and retreat and maybe save his energy a bit more and actually try and fight in the back foot and pick his moments to land that right hand? Because if he approaches it the same way as he did this time, it's going to be the same outcome. Yeah, but see, the problem is if he does retreat. But Fury I mean, no comes, offense at all. But Fury comes forward and he's good enough that he could cut the ring off and he's still going to get within range. So, would so Wilder, Wilder will be forced to, to defend himself. He'll have to throw punches. So will he just go hell for leather, do you think? I don't know. It's like it's funny how Wilder's jab was pretty good in the first fight mm. and obviously Fury just nailed it then in the in the rematch the other night where not only was he, he landing it but as there was moments when he landed it and you could see it wobbled Wilder which we didn't think it was going to happen um, and now we know why he came in a bit heavier and it was interesting to hear as well that Fury said you know or his camp said they didn't they didn't keep an eye on his weight they just made sure he was eating right and no Diet Cokes no there was a lot of conspiracy theories about the weigh in and 
he didn't take off his t-shirt and what's under there mm. you know we remember when Ruiz weighed in for the second fight I think I texted you after the weigh in for the Joshua Ruiz rematch going well I think we know what's going to happen in this one yeah the difference obviously Ruiz is quite small yeah there's a more tight security go around so that could be spread out a little better and Georgia Lockhart was in the camp good nutritionist and you know, it was a tactic to put on more weight, so I wasn't too concerned about it. The fact that Wilder put on so much weight was a bit strange, I thought. Yeah. And it, it, that seemed to play against his advantage as well. I mentioned the, the crossover nature of this. So this was a top rank PBC thing, Fox and ESPN, unprecedented. And, you know, as great as this fight was, it could bode well for a potential Errol Spence, Terence Crawford fight, which won't do the same kind of numbers because no. they're not household names. But ESPN and Fox have to be looking at this and thinking... That was an unbelievable success. Yeah, well, Super Bowl ads in the whole lot. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what we want because there's so many belts now. There's so many TV networks, different company or different networks that there's too many obstacles for the best to fight the best. So it, that's why when we do see the best fight the best, it's refreshing to get a fight that we got the two times that these lads have met where the first one, you had the drama of Fury getting up in the 12th and his comeback and then the other night you had just the impressive nature of Fury and I'm trying to think are you more impressed with what Fury did against Wilder or what Fury did against Klitschko well the Fury Klitschko I think was more unexpected but yeah similarly he called a shot he said I'm going to go over here and outbox this guy I think most people laughed at him yeah and he did it in Germany as well Mm. against the champion like the the long reigning champion. I was you, almost. You know what they say? What? When you're fighting the champion. Oh, that's true. I, I was almost more impressed with the first performance against Wilder because I gave him no chance in yeah. that fight. I was thinking, it's way too soon. You're after fighting two exhibitions, you're jumping in with this fearsome puncher, you're going to get caught at some stage. He did. We, like we've spoken about it several times, got up miraculously and incredible. If he had to stay down for another few seconds or if any other referee besides Jack Grace had been in there, he would have waved it off and this fight never would have happened. So the, yeah. the way boxing can change, the way sport can change, that's why it's the best sport, I think. Do you know, another thing we haven't talked about was, think back to the first fight, Fury changed stances. He fought the whole fight on Saturday night in the Orthodox. Mm. It was like watching a different fighter. Yeah, never once did he slip into Southpaw. It was like watching Carl Frotz or something, just walking forward relentlessly, clubbing yeah. shots. Not not one punch power, but just landing, thudding, heavy shots constantly. That brilliant jab, and the body shot that put body shots body we haven't in. mentioned. Yeah. You do, just don't see body shots in in heavyweight boxing, especially knockdowns. Like yeah. I know Dillian White's a good body puncher, Andy Ruiz had success against Joshua, but I've never seen a body shot quite like that where he basically <laughs> he threw him to the ground with a body shot. It yeah. was it's like something you'd see a boxer doing drills in the the gym, just getting the body punches in mm. on the get the bag swaying from side to side and Fury just landed it and there was only one way that Wilder was going and he was just going backwards so yeah I just they just got it spot on now so if they are going again what can Wilder take out of that what can they look at that Fury did that they can think right we didn't expect this how do we pick him apart in the next fight or can we the only thing that might play into their favour, I know they underestimated him the first time based on his condition. They underestimated him this the second time because they didn't think he was going to do what he was saying he was yeah. going to do. At least this time they know 
they're prepared for maybe that tactic and Fury will probably come out and box in the back foot in the next fight so you just you can never read this guy he's a very complete fighter and I tweeted out like sometimes it's difficult you need some space from these events to maybe put them in historical perspective but it's difficult to think of a more impressive or it's definitely in the conversation of most impressive heavyweight title wins from a challenger I know he's the lineal champion and all that but he went in there and took the belt off him easy really yeah and it is a great comeback story because it was only a few years ago I said we talked about it he was nearly 30 stone and in a really dark place and whatever about shedding the weight and, and actually getting back into the ring like that that took unbelievable hard work but then to actually have the ability and the belief and the mentality to win a world title again mm. so I'm starting to wonder as well, like as good as Fury was, and this is something that Sugar Hill said, we, they only had eight weeks with him. What can they do at more time? Can they keep him focused? Does Fury have to just keep fighting the best? Don't, with all due respect to the likes of Tom Schwartz and Otto Valin, these guys aren't going to motivate him as much. Yeah, he never struck me as someone who's going to be around for the long haul. I, yeah. I, I do think in two or three years, a lot of people say it, very few people actually do it. Like Andre Ward was saying, I'll be gone when I'm 33, and he did that. I think Fury's kind of of that mould where once he's proved his point and beaten everybody, uh, presuming that's what he does, um, I think he would step away at, at 32, 33. But so is the only thing left for him to do, give Anthony Joshua... Give AJ a shot. A shot, and then if he, if he beats him, he can just say, I've beaten the best, I'm done here now. Mm. Oh, some back over to you lads interesting thoughts from and we're going to hear it now Declan Taylor was on with Joe earlier in the week just talking about how that might play out in terms of the Saudi involvement and Paulie Malinaji was was along as well with some analysis of the fight I thought Tyson Fury would win the fight going into the fight I did expect him to to do what he was supposed to do to win the fight I thought he won the first fight and I thought aside from the knockdowns he pretty much dominated the first fight but I think many people got uh, just got very caught up in, in what happened with the knockdowns uh, so I just thought, you know, the, the the adjustments he had to make were minor, and uh, he would win this fight. But really, he made several different adjustments, even that surprised me. Uh, I know sometimes guys show have some gamesmanship where they say they'll be aggressive and they'll, they talk up a big game. But I didn't expect this kind of aggressiveness from from Fury. But I'll be honest, when uh, when I saw him, the the way in he was very heavy. I thought one of two things. I thought either he wasn't trained as properly as he should have, or the opposite. That maybe the weight game was uh, was on purpose so that he could actually enact this bully mentality that that uh, was being predicted by John Fury when I when I met up with John in uh, in London at the, at that uh, BC Sport meeting. Yeah, Fury weighed in at two hundred and seventy three pounds, nineteen and a half as stone, and it was from the opening bell, Paulie. I mean, he took the middle of the ring and he took the fight to Wilder from the opener. Yes, he did. He did. I, I think that was also a mental statement he was trying to make. Not just obviously, obviously it's a physical one as well. The fight is physical, but I think mentally he was trying to start getting onto the onto the mentality of breaking Wilder down and just putting him in an uncomfortable position. Well, Wilder, not to say that he doesn't fight. Uh, he, he always fights coming forward, but he has that kind of intimidating power where where guys have to respect it and they're not carelessly coming forward. But Tyson has enough athletic ability to not make it careless. He kind of gives you those half step backs, those drop backs steps that kind of miss, miss, make you miss, take those missteps. And Wilder at times was trying to commit, and this Tyson was just uh, you know taking those quick steps back. And I think uh, even in the corner, Sugar Hill, I, I noticed one of the instructions Sugar Hill was saying in the corner was, uh, you know, 
uh, uh, quick on the back, you know, quick, quick getting back. Like, you could tell that was probably something that the, the way he was wording it was probably something they had talked about and maybe worked on in the gym was, you know, you come forward carefully, obviously, but come forward and be aggressive. But when he gets aggressive, leave him hanging, you know, quick, explosive, explosive, quick steps going backwards. And uh, so that Wilder would trip himself up while his legs aren't as good as Fury's legs. And uh, really, every time Wilder tried to come forward, even when he threw the right hands and even when he landed a couple of them, they, they were not flush and they were not. And, and Fury was either rolling with them or was on, was already on the end of them. So so nothing landed for Wilder that could really intimidate Fury or get his attention, you know? Yeah, even that first right in, or that first, uh, that, that rise in the first round, Fury rolled with just enough. As, as yeah, for what Sugar yeah, Hill was saying, it, freeze him was actually the phrase he used. Freeze him. When yes. you move back, freeze him. Yes, and exactly. Because they knew that if he got back quick enough, um, it would freeze Wilder's legs. So Wilder's, his, his balance is so bad in every fight that it, he can only take one or two steps forward before he's flopping all over the place, you know? So, mm. so I thought that that was really intelligent. And also, yes, exactly. They use the, the phrase freeze him. So it's something that you can tell they kind of were familiar with because, you know, somebody using a term that, that's kind of foreign like that means that it's been used in the gym and they're, and they're yes. kind of repeating the instructions uh, on fight night. And that's kind of what was... Um, I thought what was going on. I thought it was it was brilliant as well, you know, yeah. that, because I, I think in the first fight, the reason Fury got himself dropped is he, he tried to go under some of those punches too many times. And not to say that he shouldn't go under some of the punches, but I think he, he gave up a lot of his advantages by trying to go under too many shots. And I think this time they didn't want Fury to dip under too many times and get in the path of many right hands. So the plan was to, you know, change distance and, and go backwards a lot uh, when, when Deontay did try to get aggressive. And then, obviously get back on the, on the aggressiveness. And I think uh, I think it worked brilliantly. I think it worked very perfectly. I think it was a great game plan. And obviously it was executed very well by Fury as well. Stay with us, Paulie. We also have Declan Taylor with us, boxing journalist who was at the fight. And when Paulie there talks about freezing, Declan, that kind of shorthand, as Paulie says, is a sign of real clear thinking in camp, a real plan. And we know exactly what that means. And it's good, concise information. And Fury had that clarity of thought from the opening bell. Whereas Wilder, again, as Paulie says, because of his power, because fighters are afraid of him at times, uh, he is not as practiced at fighting on the back foot when somebody is coming uh, onto him. And that was all very evident. This was an uncomfortable night for Wilder from the off. Yeah, it was, it's interesting you mentioned the training because that was one of the things I thought that Wilder was going to improve him because I went to see him in Tuscaloosa before the first fight and I spoke to the whole team about Fury and they basically thought he was a clown. They thought he was just a, an actor and it was going to be an easy win. Now, obviously, after the first fight, they realised that wasn't the case and he's a, he's a good, you know, he's clearly a brilliant, talented heavyweight. So I thought they were going to adjust to that and they didn't. You know, they didn't in the, in the rematch and I think they came unstuck because of it. And it was after, what, one or two rounds, you just thought to yourself, wow, they he really has never been pushed back like it. We've never seen him have to box on the back foot. We never even have to see him box going backwards. And he didn't know what he was doing with his hands. His chin was in the air. Um, I mean, serious problem. The people have spoken about him, this idea of being exposed one day. Yeah, I hate that word, exposed. He hasn't been exposed. But he's been out thought, I think. And in such a short camp for Tyson and, and Kronk, uh, the Kronk boys, it's, it was amazing what he pulled off. It really, I'm still kind of in shock about it. Paulie Malinaji, that's an interesting point that Declan makes there about the Wilder camp in any way underestimating Tyson Fury. Yeah, you know, this is a guy that had a win over 
a prime Vladimir Klitschko even before that fight. So even before that first fight. So I don't understand how you can ever underestimate Fury at that point, even with what he'd been going through. Because a prime Vladimir Klitschko, there is there is no point in Deontay Wilder's career where he beats a prime a prime Vladimir Klitschko. You know, and, and Fury not only beat him, but he beat him pretty handily. So so I thought you know I, I thought that was very um. A lot of unpreparedness mm. to even have that mentality going into the first fight, but yeah. obviously in the second fight they hadn't made enough adjustments. And going back to the, the first knockdown, I, I heard a lot of people trying to say it's a it's a rabbit punch and whatnot, which is totally and utterly ridiculous. The, the blood on the ear shows that it's not a rabbit punch. You hit him flush on the ear, and then the follow through, the follow through wound up scraping the back of his head, but. The impact of the shot was on the ear. It was not on the back of the head. There was no impact on the back of the head. Where so uh, the the ridiculousness of this whole rabbit punch theory is, is out the window. There, not to mention, it's pretty much the same shot that dropped, same kind of right hand that dropped, and it landed in pretty much the same place that dropped Fury in the first fight around eight, around nine, whatever that first knockdown was yeah. in the first fight. Declan, that first knockdown, there were 30 seconds left in round three. That's the first time Wilder's been on the canvas in 10 years, 30 fights ago. There was speculation here the eardrum had been uh, ruptured. That was since uh, confirmed not to be the case. It needed seven stitches. It was badly cut. We saw the blood coming from the ear and commentary uh, certainly speculated at the time it was ruptured eardrum. Uh, one of the reasons they did speculate that was also because his balance was so clearly off from that round on, from that punch on. Yeah, I, I thought there must have been something wrong. We were going to hear of an injury or something at that point, just because he was so out of character, so out of sorts, particularly from that point. But when you think about it, you've got a 20 stone guy who he expected to box off the back foot, pouring towards you at all times, landing whenever he wanted to, to head and body. I just wonder whether he was, he was just exhausted earlier than he's ever been, because no one, obviously no one puts it on him like that. And if they do, they usually end up getting knocked out. So he's just in a, a new sort of world for him where he's, in there absolutely knackered which is obviously affecting his power he's not really landing anything I know Andy mentioned the two right hands in the first round so he's landed flush a couple of times and Fury hasn't budged now after what happened in the first fight he must be thinking what do I have to do to this guy to put him away so mentally already he's thinking about that uh, and then it just you know it just went steadily downhill and I thought they might have pulled him the round before in the break um, obviously, that wasn't a thought of Jay Diaz at that point, and I'm sure Mark Breland would have been thought, thinking it at that point because he was just he was getting hit a lot, and he, obviously we know about the eraser, but it goes the more tired you get. So even when he was throwing that right hand, it didn't seem to have the same pop, obviously, as it as it usually did. Um, it, apparently, it's just a cut in there, and he needed some stitches. It's obviously not ideal, but. Um, it was something off with him, and I just wonder what that sort of a beating is going to do do for him mental his mentality now going forward. Yes, Mark Breland ultimately threw in the towel, and Deontay Wilder came over and said, "Why have you done that?" I think it was pretty obvious to everybody. Paulie, could they have ended that fight around sooner? Um, I thought they were going to end it around sooner. Yeah, I thought he was. Uh, I, th I thought he was out of sorts. You know, um, I give him credit. I mean, I, I never doubted Deontay Wilder's character because I thought in the first Luis Ortiz fight he showed a ton of it. Um, so I, I knew that if he put himself, he went, if he wound up in a bad situation, he would have to be pulled out of a fight. I, I Deontay is the kind of guy he has no quit. One thing, one thing I cannot respect in a fighter is when they have no character and when they're looking to quit when things get bad. Because as a fighter, you have to be, understand how to how to not only deal with things when they're going good, but also figure out a way to stay have to have the staying power to stay in a fight when things are going bad. So ultimately, guys like that are brave and have 
character and have to be pulled out of the fight. And and I thought that uh, you know his job. I thought the corner did a good job. I had no problem with the stoppage. I know Deontay did. He's a competitor. He's going to. But uh, I thought you know, I think also as a fighter, looking from a fighter perspective, you have to convince the corner. You have to convince the referee that you are capable of staying in there. And he just his body language was just not convincing to me. Ed piled that on to the blood, the visual, the visual of the blood all over him, and it didn't just it didn't look like a, a guy that. Could could stay in there any longer, you know, and he wasn't going to quit, you know. But also, I know JD said something about, uh, you know, you never pull out a guy with that kind of power. But to, to tell you the truth, he was so exhausted. Even if he lands a big shot there, he's so tired that it's not going to have the same kind of steam it usually has. So even his right hand, to me, is a waste of time to keep him in that fight and, and let him get beat up more because he's too tired to even yeah. put together a big shot like that. Even if his right hand lands at that point, I don't think it's going to do any damage because he's too tired. It's not going to have the same effect. Straight away, Paulie, the media have moved on to looking ahead to Fury against Joshua, and it was such a comprehensive victory. I don't really think amongst the general public there is a huge appetite for a rematch. Obviously, both fighters have a rematch clause in their contract. What's your sense of what the Wilder uh, camp are going to do here? I think Wilder should go out and take a couple of lesser opponents because he can beat lesser opponents who are still top 10 guys. I, I really believe that his team stopping that fight prevented him from getting ruined. You know, so I think that he's still good enough to beat most of the top 10 guys in, in the world. You know, uh, if not the rest of the top 10 guys in the world, I don't know. You know, I think I know before the fight, I was taking these two guys to the top one and two in the division. And I still am, am I still want to lean towards that no matter what. I don't know that Deontay took enough of being there where, where you can say he's ruined. I think his corner stopping it did, uh, kind of saved him from that. But, but I think that a, a rematch is a waste of time. I think if these guys fight 10 times, Tyson beats them all 10 times. That Tyson, to me, is the absolute number one guy in the weight class right now in the heavyweight division. And, uh, and I think it's going to be tough to, to knock him off this perch, you know? But mm. um, I'd love to see the, the Joshua fight. I think he's a capable guy, and obviously it's a selling point. But I don't think Wilder should go into the rematch straight away. Maybe look for it later on, um, even though he's not getting any younger. But you risk ruining yourself if you go into the, to the immediate rematch right away. You risk this fighter getting ruined. Of course, maybe his team doesn't really care for that because they're trying to get the most money they can where he's a guy who's almost 34 years old. Possible. And I guess if you're looking at it from a business sense, you look at it that way. But I don't think it's a good idea for Deontay health-wise to, to go into the rematch right away. I know as a competitor he wants to make the, the, right, the wrongs into rights, and he's obviously got a right to think that way. He should think that way. But I think from the outside looking in, I think there's a lot of guys in the top 10 that Yante can still beat, and I think maybe he should go back to that kind of opponent for the time being. Declan, is there any word from the Wilder camp on what they're going to do? Well, uh, straight after the fight in the press conference, which actually took place in the ring, uh, Wilder wasn't there. We were told he went to hospital, but actually it turns out he didn't. Anyway, JDs and Shelly Finkel were up there, and Shelly said that he expects to, to activate the rematch clause. Um, I think they've got 30 days in which to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that um, it would be a 60-40 split, and obviously now in favour of Tyson, so it's good money for Wilder. Uh, like you said, the appetite for it is not going to be anywhere near like it was for the second fight, but when you really assess the landscape, it's still going to make decent money compared to the other names that are in the hat. And if you're Tyson Fury, if you're Sugar Hill Stewart or Andy Lee, you're thinking, yes, please, I'll have that rematch, please, because now it must really look like easy money because of the number they did on him. Um, I, I'm not sure what Wilder's thinking. It's difficult to tell. Obviously, it was the same thing that happened with Joshua when that happened against Ruiz and everyone said, is it a good idea to go in straight in with the guy who's just bounced you up and down in front of everyone and you know, mentally scarred you like that? And he went and did a number on him. The thing with Wilder, as we know, is he's got that incredible power. So you'd still have to give him a chance against anyone, including Fury. He'd be a huge outsider now in the third fight. But 
I've just got a sneaky feeling they might do it um, because he could go and fight a couple of other guys and make okay money on pay-per-view. But really, it, he needs to have a belt to, mm. to really be, command the massive money that he craves because no one out there is going to be calling to fight him unless he's got a belt because of that power. And the problem he's got as well is obviously his Fury and Joshua are both British. So he's sort of out of the picture a bit now. It's amazing how how it all flips around. So I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule a third, a third fight out. And okay. I think the people around him would fancy it as well. And Declan, this sport, uh, one of the frustrations people have with it is we don't see the best fighters fight each other when they're at their best. So everybody wants Fury against Joshua. What has to fall into place for that to happen and how likely is it? To be honest, I'd be surprised if it happened next or, you know, Joshua's got to fight Kubrat Pulev in a mandatory um, for the IBF. But as we know, a unification trumps a mandatory. So in theory, you'd think that they'd be able to bin that fight completely. He's also got an issue with the WBO and Oleksandr Usyk. So again, it would be down to the sanctioning bodies to decide what they're going to do and would they allow this super fight for all four belts. I would assume they would. But then you've got all the other hurdles like networks, you know, like egos, like just the size trying to come together and make it happen. The one thing that we should all be thankful for, believe it or not, is that the sort of money that is on offer in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia in particular, is like Deontay Wilder's right hand. It's an eraser. All of those egos, all those hurdles can go out of the way with the sort of money they could just put on the table and say, let's have it here. One of the one of the princes was at, in attendance at the MGM, sat next to Frank Warren. So they obviously fancy it. They're going to love Fury, such a showman. We know they love Joshua. So forget about all the politics, all the arguing. The sort of money that they could put down is, you know, in another stratosphere to what they get. Certainly in Britain, definitely in Vegas. So yeah. it could happen. I hope so. Obviously, like you say, we've seen so many fights fall by the wayside. I just feel like the sort of money that they could get over in Saudi, it's a shame it would happen there, but at least then we'd get to see it. Last question to you, Paulie. You've been very good with your time. So it was interesting. Andy Lee said there that we only had eight weeks in camp with uh, Tyson Fury and you saw what we did with him. In some respects, he hasn't even been taught the, the basics of boxing, which is a frightening thought for his next opponent. But regardless, you're of the opinion that Fury against Joshua, Fury is the best fighter in the world in this division. Yeah, I, I do think he's the best fighter in the world. I think Josh was a capable guy, um, but I think Fury's the best fighter in the division. I've been saying that for a little while now, um, uh, especially after seeing the first fight with Wilder uh, coming in the way he did. But um, So I, I would pick Fury in the rematch, but I, I think Declan made some good points. Um, I think this fight in the Middle East could be made, and I think the Middle East money is so ridiculous that you could actually prevent Wilder from from enacting his rematch clause by paying Wilder. The Middle East money might actually, they might, they might say, listen, Deontay, the Middle East, we're gonna, these guys in the Middle East are going to give you this much money to step aside yeah. and not enact your rematch clause. So Deontay can come into the free money without having to risk another beating, you know, and maybe take another, take on another, again, another respectable, respectable top 10 guy that he, he might be. Because I think, I think Deontay can still beat some very respectable opponents. Yeah. And still, uh, I think this, there might be a way to make this thing happen. Paulie, where is Tyson Fury in the kind of all-time heavyweights conversation? Is he, is he even a part of that in any great way at the moment? Oh, absolutely, I think he is. I think absolutely he is. I mean, he, he, he knocked off. I don't understand how people forget about the Vladimir Klitschko win. That Vladimir Klitschko win was, was off the hook, like, like something, something crazy. And it wasn't, it wasn't a fluke. It was, he, he dismantled Vladimir Klitschko, who hadn't lost in over, in over a decade, you know? And 
And obviously the same Vladimir Klitschko a couple of years later went life and death with Anthony Joshua. So, you know, he, he beat a more primed up Klitschko and a guy who was still confident of, of never having been beaten in a long time, you know. Um, he's got to be a bit more consistent, I think, for, to get everybody's attention. But for me to see what I to see with for me to see what he's done and what he continues to do for me, for me, he's in the all time conversation for sure. There you go, some interesting thoughts from Paulie Malinaji. Always good on analysis, Phil. He didn't get the call for this fight. It wasn't no. on Showtime. It was so you heard the American commentary. We're talking Lennox Lewis, Joe Tessator, and Andrew Ward. Yeah, Dre. Good, good dynamic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I, it's funny when I'm watching the fights. I don't really pay much attention to the. Maybe I'm just looking that hard that the commentary is there, mm. but. It's I almost in retrospect when you appreciate the commentary, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm more looking in between rounds and what can I pick up. Actually, I, there was very little said in Wilder's Corner mm. during in, in between each round. And it's something we've talked about where if your fighter's in trouble, like you kind of look and see what direction their corner's given them. Now, maybe Deontay Wilder, it's a different case because you're in his corner, you're thinking he's struggling, but you know he's got the one punch knockout power and you're just hoping that that's what happens that mm. this has been a tough night but you're thinking your fighter's still going to pull it out of the bag yeah whereas then again Sugar Hill and Andy didn't have to say much to Tyson Fury they obviously knew the game plan see this could you know this is drilled into them so everything is going according to plan for Fury so why would they have to give him much direction but I'm always interested to see what it's like in the, the corner of the fighter that's clearly losing. Yeah. And it was good perspective, I suppose, from, from Andrew Ward, who was no, it was no mystery to him to maybe switch things up, fight physically. And like he was always renowned as a master boxer, but he was able to dig in deep so he could appreciate that. And obviously, no, but no one's better place than Lennox Lewis to talk about undisputed heavyweight yeah, title. Another thing, I, one thing that I did, that they did reference in commentary was even Wilder went down in the third round and he slipped a few times and he was down on the deck even having to drag himself up off the canvas even though they, they weren't ruled as knockdowns but still a guy that's that weight 16 stone it still drains you you still have to drag yourself up off the, the canvas and that all just seeped more energy out of him mm. instead just you know at stages it just looked like there was just nothing going on for Wilder yeah I think David Hay was on commentary for BT and he was very vocal in giving Wilder the nod ahead of this fight. So I don't know if it's sort of... David Hay seems to go with whoever's just won. So when AJ beat Ruiz the second time, he was like, oh, yeah, AJ's the best heavyweight in the world. And Well, David Hay was one of those that said before the fight that he thought the the cut was going to come back, the Otto Valin fight was going to come back to haunt Fury. But I know, yeah, you can, you can see it in all lines of sports punditry where if somebody picks someone they want to believe that they're going to win and maybe they're blinded by what's actually going on because they have it in their head that this is how it's meant to happen and if it's not happening then this is down to the guy I picked not doing well whereas not many I was kind of looking at the the previews not many went for for Fury certainly not in that fashion no no, definitely not. Um, actually, a lot of people felt that Wilder was eventually going to catch him, and it would be, mm. it would be a knockout. Yeah, 
and people who've, who've watched this show over the last year or 18 months will know like we're not afraid to discuss the drugs issues and that kind of stuff and yeah. when Canelo uh, ascended to the top of the middleweight division we were quick to say you know there's an asterisk there and we can't ignore the fact that Tyson Fury is a similar thing but these fights are going to happen we know the way the boxing landscape works that it's basically strong slaps in the wrists at best that's all we can hope for and we're going to cover these fights as they happen so while that's always going to be there the man is now like it or not he's the number one in the division and until someone beats him he's going to remain there he's the biggest boxing star in the world now mm. and that's something that he has to carry around now and hopefully he can do it because I think as remarkable it is that he's he's back and he got himself back into contention even to challenge for world titles the fact that he's done it and he's won said he just maybe he's thinking yeah just another couple of fights and then I'm out and mm. then I can but you know, even when he gives up boxing, who wouldn't want him as a pundit? <laughs> yeah, like they're gonna they're gonna be queuing up to get him. Absolutely. But he's still got a lot of business to take care of before that. And there is other fights out there, whether it's Wilder, whether it's Joshua. The Joshua fight is the one I think most of us want to see. Is there a little bit of a gloss taken off that fight? Do you think? By Joshua's defeat? Yeah, I think it's more by the fact that Joshua would be a huge underdog now in a way yeah. that he never would have been before. But I think that almost plays into the intrigue for me because I think if Joshua did manage to do something or at least make it competitive, it would it would make it a better fight. I think a couple of years ago, everyone would have had that as a 50-50 maybe. But Fury's just been so impressive of late yeah. that it's hard. Just imagine how good he would have been if he hadn't have had that big long sabbatical out of the ring, if he hadn't yeah. just kept that fitness going. But he, do, you, do you know what, though? You don't know because... After he beat Klitschko, if he had had a few more fights after that, like everything happens for a reason. And here he is, he's he's now fighting with Sugar Hill and Andy Lee in his corner. And maybe that wouldn't have happened. So mm. um, I suppose he, he's, he's just got to look forward now. Um, but the, you'd imagine if it was AJ and Fury, it has to be Wembley. That's the thing. So, <clears throat> excuse me, Declan Taylor was just saying that since Saudi money is such an issue now where it's just it's going to be too good to turn down almost where they might pay Wilder to step aside to make the Fury fight happen yeah. with Joshua or they might throw so much money at AJ and Fury that they have to have it over there but I think the the legacy and the mystique almost of having that Wembley fight like you see the fights in the 90s are still talked about now do you think Fury, Joshua as big as it's going to be would have the same would capture the imagination in the same way if it was kind of in the Middle East rather no. than at Wembley Stadium I think it has to be in Britain and I know Fury has talked about fighting in Old Trafford before. That, is that an option? Mm. See, like they're going to make less money, but I just think in the long run, it's going to be worth more. I think of some of those fights that you would have seen, uh, Joe Calzaghe fighting in Cardiff, mm. those kind of fights. And the Ruiz and Joshua rematch, like, there was no atmosphere to it. Yeah. And how quickly the tie can turn. If Ruiz had won that rematch... And Wilder had won this fight. All the belts are with PBC Al Heyman. Now all the belts are in the UK. Was was never a huge hotbed for heavyweights, and now they they rule the heavyweight division. And the next guy in line, the Ring Magazine released their ratings on Monday, and number three in the division is Dillian White. He's is jumped, he ever going to get one? He's jumped ahead of Deontay Wilder in the rankings, so I think he has to, like all questions asked, get the fight by February 2021. So he's got 12 months at the very latest. That's when that fight's going to be. 
So he, I mean, he, he'd be looking at, it's WBC, so he's looking at Fury. Mm. It's hard to see how Dillian White can beat Fury. Yeah. Now, you know that if he goes in there, he'll, he'll give it one hell of a shot. But You'd wonder would Fury, I don't think Fury would approach the fight the same way necessarily. As no, he, absolutely not. No. I think he'd respect Wilder, or he'd respect White's boxing skills more yeah. than Wilder's. And Dillian White, as we know, is such a good left hooker, such a good counter puncher that you wouldn't want to be going in 90 miles an hour you no. might get caught no but you think that if he goes in the same size that he is and uses the jab he's going to have he's going to have uh, White's number yeah. for the night and um, whether it's as emphatic as the other night was but yeah Tillian White will eventually get get a world title shot yeah and like we're back to Klitschko days where it's the heavyweight championship of the rest of the world like who who's there so White Pavekin it looks like that's going to be made that's a that's a decent fight for Dillian White talk Katie Taylor might be on the undercard for that the original thought was that it would be herself and Serrano in New York somewhere but that, that might fall as a double header in Manchester which would be probably handier for us to, to maybe go to that one yeah um, Chisora against Usyk which has long been talked about but that seems good to go for for London you've almost forgotten about Usyk who is probably the best boxer mm. he's the the best boxer in the heavyweight division in terms of technical skill but again I wonder if he's fighting someone like Tyson Fury would he have like the size is going to be yeah. an issue because that's no longer a boxing match which I would have thought it was it's yeah. now uh, Fury's going to go in and try and do what he did to Wilder bully Usyk around the place and he'd give him a very good chance of doing that Chisora is going to be a handful for Usyk as well it's going to be a welcome to the heavyweight division yeah. I know he's had a couple or he's had he's fought Weatherspoon already that was kind of it was what it was this is a proper test against a, a seasoned heavyweight uh, a really interesting fight that we've been talking about for a long time Daniel Dubois against Joe Joyce that's yeah. done that's a really intriguing one yeah is there any word is this going to be are they going to put this on as pay-per-view that's pay-per-view Phil yeah yeah. yeah get your wallet out for that one yeah no, no like that's Joe Joyce is so much more to lose from this given mm. his age but what happens if Dubois goes in there and knocks him out? What, the, like, how do you hold him back? No, you can't, because Joe Joyce is so durable. And yeah. as you said, if he goes in there and just blows him away in a couple of rounds, you're like, well, you have to throw him in there. But he's so young. Yeah. Like, like, we're talking what is this? Is this like a European level fight, or is it higher? Um. Yeah, like maybe, maybe a little bit higher. But Dubois, just anyone that he goes in against, he's he's getting them out of there quickly and. That'd be a serious statement if he took Joyce out of it. But that could be the the biggest issue is for Frank Warren to have to say, Yeah, we've got to take our time here, Daniel, even though you're absolutely smoking everyone that we put it put in with you. But you know, he's he's still he's still very young. Yeah. No, for sure. And Joseph Parker returns this weekend in, in a card in Dallas and as Klitschko bowed out, he was in the mix as he could be the next guy and you just feel like he's fallen so far off that level now. Like him and Fury, granted they were pictured together in Las Vegas, but they're not in the picture necessarily of the heavyweight division together. Yeah, it's a long time since Fury was in the changing room doing the, the hacker with him. Mm. And you think back to when Parker got the decision over Huey Fury, it was uh, like it was tight and then Parker, AJ wasn't a good fight. No. And Ruiz, which kind of came into focus around the Joshua fight, maybe nicked the fight against Parker as well. Yeah. So. so 
I'm yeah, his his stock isn't uh he's still do you know what? He'll end up fighting maybe if Usyk gets by Chisora, there'll mm. be a fight for it's almost like you've got these tests <laughs> you're going through a computer game where to get to the, the, the top level yeah. they throw all these guys at you and if you can over if you can get by by them then you you know you've earned your, your shot at the title. No, it's it's a really exciting time for the heavyweights compared to a decade ago when it was a little bit down to the bare bones. We've yeah. got plenty of like interest all the way down. But like you remember thinking back to Tyson Fury and I know you had some experience of him in Dublin when Willie Casey fought. Oh yeah, because he was over Did you ever think back then that this guy was gonna rule the world? No, but he did. He did. He uh, he was at that fight that was around March and it was the same day Ireland beat England uh, in the Aviva and the Six Nations and Tyson Fury was at the game and obviously we know his, his Irish roots and he said, I'll fight a Klitschko. I wouldn't mind. I could fight a Klitschko at the Aviva. Unfortunately, that night, Ronan, we had a lot of time to fill <laughs> because Rigando beat Willie Casey in the first round. So when you've got a championship fight 12 rounds scheduled and this was a, a broadcast on news talk and the fight's over after a round i actually remember the sound man who brian keaveney give him a shout out he does all the the technical stuff so i was sitting ringside the closest i've ever been to a fight where you're touching the canvas mm. and he had got all the technical stuff working and we're up and running in the commentary and he just shimmies over beside me and he's like so and uh, how long is this fight going to go Phil like, well Rigondo's just after landing a savage body punch and the fight was over a minute later but Tyson Fury was there and even then you could you could tell he had something about him and look he'd fought in Ireland four years previously um, yeah he's the one that got away Phil we, yeah. we could have had him you know uh, we wouldn't let him box for the national team as an amateur I think Andy Lee's dad went to basically let him fight for the, he talked to the BUI to get him licensed to fight Martin Rogan for the Irish heavyweight title obviously beat Martin Rogan Fury went life and death with uh, John McDermott for the, the British title then as well it just shows you the sliding doors of boxing how you never would have pegged this guy as the, the kingpin of all of boxing but here we are like the yeah. skills skills he, pay the like, bills that night though that he was like everyone was just fascinated by him because of the size and the stature of him you know he could hit the gift of the gab he was able to say you know, I'll, I'll fight a Klitschko in a football stadium in two years. Two years later, I watched him win against Klitschko in a football stadium. How quickly, like? Yeah, and uh, you could tell that he was just going to keep getting better and better. Obviously, then he had serious mental health issues. He's He's got over them. I mean, I don't know. It's not something I've had an issue with, so I don't know where he's at in terms of that. Is every day, has he got to keep on top of these things? Um is boxing his his escape like is that how he you know he, he stays healthy both physically and mentally but um, that's why you just wonder with the spotlight on him does he just want to get out as quick as he can he's made he, he's made his money now yeah not for he sure he has made his money to his his family and himself can have a, a good life yeah I think he's got so he's got two more fights on this ESPN deal it could be Wilder then Joshua and then it could be it could be Curtains you just don't know um, in and terms he goes into singing could do he, it he definitely there's a, there's a single in there oh well we didn't mention we should mention the, the entrance was amazing yeah. his, his entrance was like iconic yeah it was you have to back it up though if you come out like that and then lose in the first round did you back anyone I know because you didn't you put a bet on the Super Bowl 
Oh, yeah, I didn't. I definitely, Patsy Klein would have been well no, done. The, because there the was, list. I know, I had heard some of the novelty bets going on for what music he would play. And American Pie actually came up as maybe uh, the walk-in. Mm. But no, he obviously was saving that for the end. Yeah. And one last heavyweight we should mention, Charles Martin in the chief supporting bout, got a knockout against Jared Washington. He's up to number two in the IBF, so we could see Joshua against Martin too. <laughs> Mike. And that's the... Does that's, anyone want to see that? That's the rematch everybody wants to see. I, so I got up at just after four o'clock. I went to bed at about one o'clock, got up at, after four, and there he was, Charles Martin in yeah. the ring. So if, if the unlikely happens where... Joshua has to vacate the title it would be Pulev against Martin for the for the title and I don't think anybody wants to see that it definitely won't be a pay-per-view anyway yeah um, this weekend I mentioned Parker's fighting but the headline fight there Mikey Garcia against Jesse Vargas and we mentioned Mikey Garcia when he fought Errol Spence seemed such a foolish move to jump into 147 this would have made a lot more sense to maybe test the waters against Jesse Vargas see what it's like yeah. he's hanging around at 147 you have to assume if he doesn't impress this weekend he's going to step back down to 140 but I can understand there's more money at welterweight but you know you can't be you can't be taking beatings like no no because you think back to say I think back to Kel Brook when he fought Golovkin and you know he took some big shots in that fight and obviously got serious damage around his eye yeah and then obviously lost to Errol Spence which was you know it was a lower weight but certain defeats can have a serious impact on you so be interesting to see how he gets on if if he was to like that Errol Spence fight was so one-sided it was just a case of he wanted to survive yeah and that's not really it's not him really he's, no. a, he's a class fighter he doesn't want to be in those situations like he's a much better fighter than Vargas but Vargas is a bigger man so it'd be a good fight I'm looking forward to seeing it Calia 5 fights Roman Gonzalez Chocolatito again really good fight and then Julio Cesar Martinez against Jay Harris so that's that's a really good card in Dallas we can chat about that next week Tyrone McKenna uh, against O'Hara Davis is all done for the, the golden contract which is obviously big stakes for the winner of that yeah. O'Hara Davis had his day but he'll be looking to come back again and Tyrone McKenna is such a great character and fan friendly to say the least like we've seen Tommy Coyle retire but Tyrone McKenna could step into that breach no problem yeah, a yeah, sky no. fighter that just yeah. brings it every time absolutely it'd be a good one as well and plenty on the line and great chance for him if he if he takes out O'Hara Davis then looks like the Tommy McCarthy's going to get a crack at Lawrence Acoli yeah poor like fighting Lawrence Acoli is a, it's an errand for anybody he's just so hard to number one look good against and yeah. number two to beat so yeah. it, it's a handful for Tommy but it's, but it's, it's a great it, opportunity it is and you think back to the fight that he had in Italy where he beat Turkey and um, that was a really significant win mm. and we've talked about how Luke Keeler has improved so much under Pete Taylor and obviously Tommy McCarthy has done the same so hopefully he's even better yeah. he'll have to be yeah and one more thing we should mention we're a bit tight on time but Regan Buckley stepping out of the boxing scene altogether yeah. and it's just kind of it's a little bit of an indictment of where the amateur scene is going. We've seen lads turning pro because there's just no future for them in the amateur game. But this is very much just packing boxing in all together because he's so disillusioned by it, which is a bit... You have to keep an eye on these lads. Like It's not all about the high-performance boxers or the lads just below that. It, there's a, a whole raft of young amateur boxers who need to be protected here. Yeah, and the fact that he's tried his hand at both. Mm. You know, he's tried the... He's tried, obviously, well, he would have come up through amateur. He had a a brief stint in the, the pro ranks went back to amateur so it's um, 
yeah like you know we're talking we've spent most of the show talking about Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder and just vast amount of amounts of money but at the other end of the scale you know and we know how brutal a sport boxing is yeah and if you're not getting the reward for it you can see why some people get disillusioned by it so. yeah and we'll uh, we'll round up all the other little bits and pieces next week there's a few cards to catch up on and as I mentioned a really good card in Dallas this week we should have John Joe Nevin next week we'll look forward to catching up with him as well uh, producer Tom has left us for a passage new he's living in Liverpool now just in time for them to, to win the title we've got producer Alex now in the in the hot seat out there so I think he did a he did a fine job he did a fine job so uh, try and hold on to this one yeah we just seem to running through producers yeah we're just everyone's just we're losing people here don't get the wrong idea Alex no. it's, it's not that bad Andy wanted to get away from us so much that he just took up coaching yeah it worked out alright for him yeah, hopefully Alex gets similarly uh, successful alright uh, thanks again for tuning in uh, we'll be back next week crazy I'm crazy for feeling so lonely I'm crazy crazy for feeling so blue I knew you'd love me as long as you wanted You'd leave me for somebody new Worry Why do I let myself worry Wondering What in the Or thinking that my love could hold you I'm crazy for trying And crazy for crying And I'm crazy for loving you Crazy for thinking that my for love